<laughs> that was Adam's intro song. What's going on? Welcome to the podcast that doesn't have a name. Yeah, I'm throwing it on you today, bro. Uh, for you to introduce the podcast this with is a name. the super special jujitsu friends podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah that'll do <laughs> sounds like a nickelodeon show it, it pretty much is let's be real so <laughs> kieran here white belt under the one and only adam childs uh, which is uh moi i am uh, owner of alliance sydney black belt under fabio gogel um and we are here today to banter on about jujitsu before that um if you didn't listen to the last episode and are interested, we spoke about uh, trash talking in jiu-jitsu, a bit of the um, the old school versus new school culture, American jiu-jitsu versus Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, I mean, mostly was a rather negative podcast from from my side of things. A lot of topics. You're being real, man. You're being raw. Yeah, I was being raw. A lot of topics that um, I've got uh, a few strong opinions on. But um, that was last episode. Today, we are chatting about... We are talking about a good instructor versus a bad instructor. So essentially, we're talking about a good instructor versus Adam. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to make that own dig on myself. But, um... <laughs> I beat you to it, man. So you can, you can beat me up now. Before we go into that, I do need to point out that Kieran is drinking coffee through a... Metal straw. Yeah. I've never seen it before. Yeah. So I, I, okay, for context for those that don't know me, which is most people, <laughs> um, I was in the Navy. I've only just left the Navy, like as in the last few days of the recording of this. Do they know or were you just, <laughs> you just, you just gone AWOL? They'll, they'll find out, bro. Don't worry. Yeah. So I've just left the Navy. In my last position in the Navy, I was a navigation instructor at uh, in Sydney here. So I was teaching navigation and I would always teach class with a coffee or a hot tea, like a green tea or something. And I'd always have it through a hot metal straw. So you're not the first person to comment on the uh, hot liquids through a metal straw and uh, I won't give up. Yeah, well, that's all well and good, but you did not explain why <laughs> why you drink it through uh, a metal straw. Yes, yeah. So a couple of reasons. Firstly, I find it more convenient to drink through, funnily enough, a metal straw. Yep. Um, not. It's kind of weird when I, I just have it in a mug at the moment, but when Usually I'm usually it's in a sippy cup. Yeah, it's in a sippy cup. <laughs> <laughs> in a travel mug, we we call them. Uh, yeah. So normally, when I have it in my sippy cup, I have it uh, with the metal straw, but. I read some research a little while ago that talked about how um, drinking a one way to minimize coffee stains on your teeth is drinking through a straw. And because I, I went through a period where I was drinking like eight coffees, like black coffees a day. And um, I was getting like, you know, dentists and that were commenting on the teeth stains. Right. And uh, so I swapped to the metal straw. I don't really think it helps, but um, habit it's, it's a habit and I'm proud of it. And I make no apologies for the metal straws. Man. <laughs> Is it so crucial to your caffeine intake that if you couldn't find a straw, like would you opt to not have the coffee? That's actually a good question. That's a debate I have with myself regularly. <laughs> 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 this has got nothing to do with jujitsu, but uh, funnily enough, no, I will have the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I will have the coffee. The addiction to caffeine trumps the need for it a does. straw. It does. Touch and go at times, but uh, <laughs> coffee, co the, the coffee addiction is strong. So just like my coffee. Yeah. All right. So 
talking about instructors. Yes, good and bad instructors. instructors. Um, I mean, curious more from like I would like to to hear a white belt's opinion. I mean, it's a bit different. You've you did some trial classes at other gyms, but you've never yes. really trained anywhere other than with myself. So, yeah. um, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not the best basis, you know, um, but I would still like to hear what you looked for when choosing a gym. Cause for myself, it was so long ago when I started jujitsu, um, you're a little bit disconnected from it, right? You, yeah, I believe I just, I mean, forget. I didn't really know anything. You know, when I started, um, I my only understanding of jiu-jitsu was like a lot of people was the UFC and Hoist Gracie. Mm. And I believe I just, did I, I think I just picked the closest gym or I picked a gym that had some connection to a Gracie name. It wasn't a Gracie gym, but the instructor was a black belt under Hicks and Gracie. Wow. Okay. Um, but I think I may have just picked logistically the, the, yeah. the closest gym for me. And that makes perfect sense. Right. Particularly like, I, I don't want to, you know, tell your story for you, but particularly when you first started what some 10 years ago now, you didn't, it's not like you were flush for choice, right? Yeah. Not as, not as much as you have now for sure. Yeah. Like, um, and I mean, I think that's a, definite connection to good versus bad instructors because you could get away with being a dog shit instructor previously because there was kind of that or nothing. Particularly when the jujitsu scene started in Sydney, I wasn't in Sydney when it started. I was living and training overseas. Um, But some of the guys who, that since moving back to Australia that I've, you know, picked, jiu-jitsu other black belts that I've connected with and whatnot and just through their stories they've spoken about oh I trained with so-and-so back in the day you know he was like the best black belt in Sydney or he was like one of the first and then I think about who that person is now and they're just they weren't relevant then they're not relevant now like you know no I don't want to say not relevant right but I mean they weren't credible don't pull or, your punches at them. No one's they, they weren't, they weren't, no one's listening. I've got a button for that. Yeah. <laughs> they're, um, you know, they weren't good instructors back then. They're not good now. Kind of like what we were, you know, in the last episode, we spoke a little bit about, um, you know, it's different. Uh, we had the whole conversation in that episode, but we, we spoke about how, um, you know, Keenan mentioned that some of the older Gracies would be equivalent to a purple belt nowadays. And, you know, and yeah, because but it was a different generation, right? Like there's guys that were like the only jujitsu Sydney black belt, you know, back in whatever, 2002 or something. It's like, yeah, but man, like they weren't even at the level of a, a 2002 black belt in 2002. Like they weren't good then. They're not good now. All right. So we you could get away with it. about this like a little while ago and correct me if I'm wrong here. And I, this is by no mean a slight on anyone or no mean a slight on any culture or anything, but with a lot of these gyms opening in places like Sydney and especially the States, was it not a avenue for some people from Brazil to get access to Australia via oh, different dude, visas, hundred percent, like athlete visa. You were saying, yeah. So shed they, some light on that. There used to be um, 
there used to be a visa that you could get. For, look, I'm not an immigration lawyer. These laws change all the time. So, But when people are listening to this, uh, it may be a different case. But there used to be this visa you could get. I think it was called a yeah, special athlete's visa that essentially the premise of the visa was you could say like, oh, I'm a Brazilian black belt. Like I'm a Brazilian and I have a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, that's an exceptional thing to have. Other people in Australia don't have it. So I'm like a special athlete and they would qualify for a visa, essentially like a PR visa, a permanent residence visa for, for Australia. Um, that visa either no longer exists at the, the time of this recording or it's so hard to get because I, I have a friend, um, Luana Alzugir, who's um, – uh, we used to train together in, in Brazil. She's a, a black belt world champion. She is, um, her partner is, um, is baby Hadolfo, is Hadolfo Vieira's um, sister. And she wanted to move to Australia years ago and she couldn't qualify for the visa as a black belt world champion. Whereas going wow. back further than that. Like 2002 are, days. Yeah, or whenever. There are... There are Brazilians in the country right now who are the who are just like the you know they're they're black belts in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but they're maybe the level of a blue belt. But because Ooh. of the timing, big they, words, yeah, they got their visa, their special athlete visa, back in whatever year, and now they're they're permanent residents here or citizens here or whatever. But they were never good at Jiu Jitsu. A lot of Brazilians moved over here and still try to move over here for a, for a better life and to teach jujitsu, but they're not even necessarily passionate about jujitsu. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, in Brazil, there's a common joke that we say, um, Australia is, um, Brazil que deu certo, which means like Australia is the, the Brazil that, that worked out. Or, or, you know, that's what they, it's a Australia joke. is the Brazil that worked out. Yeah, yeah. That's like a joke that Brazilians say. Because a lot of Brazilians come to Australia and, you know, we've got the weather's similar. Like we're both in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, the, the weather's very similar. The, the culture's quite similar. Um, you know, Sydney's like Rio. Melbourne's like Sao Paulo. Like there's a lot of similarities. Okay. Um, so a lot of Brazilians want to move here, right? A lot of guys used to and still do try to use jujitsu as a way to get here and teach jujitsu here just as a means to an end to make money. Pretty much the same thing as I did when I lived in Brazil where I taught English to make money. Yeah, right? okay. It just was the easiest thing I could do to make money. It made the most sense. Does that mean I'm passionate about English and being an English teacher? No, I'm not, right? I'm, I'm passionate, passionate about, about teaching, right? Teaching right. and teaching jujitsu. But English isn't my thing. The language English isn't my thing. Clearly. I just, yeah, clearly, <laughs> right? Yeah, anyone who knows me, uh, oh, I just... Oh, here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said no one was listening, bro. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it just made sense. It's what I do. Whereas uh, there's a lot of Brazilians that would come here and they're not even... Like even back in Brazil, they weren't passionate about jujitsu. I'm not saying everyone does this, but, you know, it's kind of then has led to people seeking out gyms where the head instructors are Brazilian. It's not necessarily a better thing. I'm going to use, you know, kind of 
talk myself up, but use myself alongside with with Lockie, Lachlan yeah, Giles, sure. as yeah. an example. Like, I I'm someone who who left everything to go and live in Brazil. Like, I lived in Sao Paulo for five years. And don't get me wrong, some things were made easier for me than they would be for other people because my wife's Brazilian, so it made visas easier. Yeah. But where we lived, my wife has no family, you know. So um, we were removed from them. We had a very hard time living there. Uh, After the first week of living in Sao Paulo, I, I decided I was like, I hate this city. Yeah, right. And, um, we, and de- we definitely need to dig into that deeper. Yeah, like that's living in Brazil's a whole. Yeah, uh, that's, we could talk about that for hours. Yeah. But I hated living there, for, and my opinion never changed after five years. It's it's not like I didn't want to love it, but like it was really hard, and um, I didn't enjoy my time there. Apart from like, you know, there were obviously there were positive things. The jujitsu is amazing. The people are amazing. The food's amazing. But it's different living somewhere than than Visiting, when you visit right? it. Yeah, of course. Right? So I sacrificed a lot to to get to where I'm at, and I'm passionate about it. And Lockie is similar in the sense that um, if you're not aware, Lockie is a fully fledged physio. I, I could be wrong, but I believe he may have had his own practice. I think he maybe maybe had his own physio practice or at least he was working full-time as a physio and left like he's got his PhD as well and everything, left all that behind to pursue jiu-jitsu. So the point I'm trying to make is myself and Lachlan, we're not Brazilian, but we're more passionate than a lot of Brazilians who come over here just as a means to an end to get a visa to live here. Right, just because you're Brazilian doesn't, by default, make you a better instructor. Right, Lockie's known as one of the best coaches in the world at the moment. Like, you know, arguably the best gym in Australia, or at least Victoria. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that special athlete visa, I don't believe exists anymore, and and for good reason. Yeah, right. So, in terms of like choosing what makes a good instructor versus a bad instructor. We, we can only talk about this and particularly I can only talk about this from my context, that being an Australian, you know, a, a Westerner, like trying to learn a effectively grassroots Brazilian sport. So in terms of what I would look for in a good gym versus a bad gym, I don't really have a whole bunch of experience in different gyms. Well, I'm looking over at your side of the table and there's a Adam Child's list of pros and cons. <laughs> and the con list is long (laughs) no well like let me ask you then like uh why why did you come into my gym was it just logistically made sense or what was because when you think about picking a good gym and good instructor they're kind of to some degree synonymous right like um depending on the size of the gym you know like for example our gym, I teach 99% of the classes, yes. right? There's only, there's less than a handful of the adult classes that I don't teach. If you go to a gym like Fabio's gym in Brazil, like it's, you know, it's got like 12 different instructors or something, you know? Yeah, so- which, which brings up a good point. And um, I mean, if you go to a gym because of someone like Fabio and and let's inverse that, right? You said that you teach 99% of your classes. so. It, one day, if I get awarded a blue belt, I would be a blue belt under Adam Charles, under yourself, right? right? Now, if you were to go to 
Fabio's gym these days and say he's not teaching. I don't know if he is or I'm just using him as an example. Yeah. Say he's he's only teaching one class per fortnight and you go to train with Fabio at Fabio's gym to be a black belt under Fabio eventually. And, you know, if, if you only see him once a month and once a fortnight, are you a Fabio black belt? Yeah, like, um, I mean, I'll use a, a similar but different different example. Like, the, to answer that question for how it would happen now, well, now the head instructor of, of Fabio's gym is Michael Lange, actually owns half of the gym or maybe even more. Um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly their their business arrangement, but but Lange's now the, the head instructor. Fabio is more or less retired from teaching. So nowadays, realistically, you, you would be a Lange black belt um, or whatever, blue belt. But I would say at grading events, they would probably joint give the belts. But I'll give you another example. Like the time that I was at Fabio's gym, like he has so many classes on the timetable, right? He can't teach them all. The classes Fabio would teach, he would teach Monday to Friday, the lunchtime classes, which were our competition training. And then he would teach the, there was multiple classes at nighttime, but he would teach the one that was at, I think at eight o'clock, which was like the advanced class. It started at eight? Yeah, different culture in Brazil. You yeah. would. I used to teach a class in Brazil that didn't start until like, I think it was like 9.30 at night Holy or something crap. like that. I would start teaching a class. So when are the 9.30 classes coming to Alliance? Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I've got classes at my gym now that start at like 6.30 and people complain it's too late. Wow, oh my yeah. God, grandmas. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so Fabio would teach those two classes every day, right? And then he would have classes that ran Monday to Friday at 7 a.m., he never, ever taught those classes, right? They were taught by this other instructor, Edu. And, um, and so if you were a student who only ever trained in the 7 a.m. classes, you literally never saw Fabio, right? And then there was a grading event, like Fabio would still be the one who gave you the belt. So would you then be a, like black belt under Fabio Gogel or you're a black belt under Edu, right? I mean, in my opinion, it's it's kind of a bit of both, right? Because Fabio is like managing the other instructors that yes. are under him, yep, that's right? A good point. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of a a, a bit of both, right? Yeah. At the moment, right? Like I would say, it's more you're a belt under Lange. Let's say, like for example, there's some gyms where they start to affiliate and make and have more gyms, right? And the owner or the head instructor of the original gym tries to maintain that they're a head instructor at all of them. That's a bit ridiculous. That's ridiculous, opinion. right? Yes. It's like people who want to say like, oh, I'm a black belt under Cabrinha. Oh, so you train in LA? Oh, no, no, no. Like the Cabrinha affiliate in Germany. Like, So Cabrinha isn't your coach at all, yeah. right? Like you yeah, can't I mean, say you're a you're black so, belt. You're too under. far removed at that point. Yeah. But yeah. If, you're, if you're training at Alliance headquarters and Fabio is setting the timetable, he's setting the – you know, he's setting the tempo, the pace, the the techniques, like managing day-to-day, -day, still teaching, then it's a joint awarded belt. In your example, if you only show up to the 7 a.m. class, joint awarded belt, yeah, okay. I, I definitely, well. In my opinion, me, it would be. Belt. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, it would be a little bit more like, like I think 
would be, oh, I'm a black belt under Edu plus yeah. Fabio. Yes. Like I would – like who's your instructor who is coaching you 99% of the time? Okay, well, that's the dude who you yeah. should be a belt under. That's my opinion. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be a blue belt under Dan and Jake. You'll be a blue belt <laughs> under Dan and Jake. Yep. Dan and Jake yep. are two people that train at uh, Adam's gym for yeah. context. Yeah. Lots of we've, we've been Lots of in-jokes. <laughs> we've been trying to get rid of them for years. Yeah, still around. Still around. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of what makes a good and bad instructor, you asked me before, like, why did I walk into, you know, Alliance Sydney? Why did mm. I walk into your gym specifically? Mm. Was it logistics? What was it? So for, for a little bit of history, I did a trial at Gracie Baja Bondi Junction uh, oh, back in 2018, I want to say, maybe even a little bit earlier. It might have been 2017. Mm-hmm. Um but basically due to my personal circumstances, like I really wanted to train jiu-jitsu, really, really did. But because of my personal circumstances, I was seagoing. I was in the Navy at that time. Um, I was seagoing. So I was you know, away for three months, four months at a time, back for a few weeks and away again. It wasn't feasible logistically for me to commit to training. And I was, I basically bitched out, chickened out, didn't do it, totally regret it to this day. But once I was more stable in a shore posting, so I wasn't going to sea, I was living in Rose Bay. I would always uh, run past your gym and, you know, have a cheeky look inside, you know, be one of those creepers staring in the windows, <laughs> face pressed up against the glass and, all the, you know, the fog from my breath, yeah. my, my mouth breathing. Um, no, but uh, yeah, so I'd run past and see what was going on. I was still very, very interested in jujitsu. And we can talk about why I was interested and why I started it uh, in a future episode. But the reason I walked in was pretty much logistics. Yep. I'll be honest, it was so close. Like it was literally walking distance that I did not have an excuse not to, you know, give you a call, not to to trial, like not to yeah. sign up. And I think that's why why most people start. Like you were not like I believe that's why I started, made sense logistically. And I think most people pick their gym if they're brand new yes. to jiu-jitsu. They Google jiu-jitsu near me or bjj near me they either go off a friend's recommendation yep or or whichever one logistically makes the most sense yeah and that unfortunately leads into you potentially having a bad instructor with a gym that has poor culture because when you're brand new to jiu-jitsu you don't you know don't, any different. You yeah. don't know any different, right? Absolutely. You don't know. I still don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. I've been making it up yeah. day after day. I'm just dreading the day you figure out it's all BS, right? Uh, what's like, a close guard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know if your instructor knows what he's talking about uh, when, you're, when you're brand new. Mm. Like you've just got to go on faith, right? If you haven't been recommended by a credible source, you have no idea whether your instructor's good or bad. That's all you've known, right? And that's a shame because there are a lot of bad instructors who are bad for multiple reasons or they're bad because they're still operating under a bit of an outdated like teaching method or business what, model. What do you mean by multiple reasons? Let's let's get into specifics. What do you think? I want to put you on the spot here, but mm. That's what this is all about. As a black belt, as an instructor yourself, as a gym owner, someone reputable, particularly in the Sydney community of jiu-jitsu, 
what are some of those things that make someone a bad instructor or or generate a bad culture? Obviously, we're not going to name any names, but let's talk about traits or tendencies, if you will. So the, the thing that I see the most from bad instructors stems from an, an outdated culture of not allowing students to train at different gyms, right? And, and uh. why, why am I saying that? Because there's a lot of instructors, right, that are not legitimate. And what I mean by not legitimate is they just they, – they haven't – they haven't learned what they they need to learn. Like, I don't know, like let's take another profession. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of jujitsu instructors and gym owners who are trying to operate a law firm, right? And they're the head lawyer, they're the partner at the law firm, right? But they actually never pass the bar. They're actually in year two of law school. You know, like there's there's a lot of gym owners who are we're saying a, it's the equivalent. It's the equivalent, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. There's a lot of gym owners who are operating the gym, but they're not legitimate in the sense that it's like, man, you're like you really don't know that much about jujitsu and the sport of jujitsu and the techniques of jujitsu and everything, yet you're trying to run a gym. So then because they're not legitimate, right? They finally they get some students in the door because Logistics, maybe logistically yeah. they've chosen that gym. Yeah. Okay. And now they've got this student who's a customer who if that customer is exposed to a better gym with a better instructor, a legitimate gym, they then realize that, hang on, there's a law firm that's run by actual lawyers who have passed the bar instead of the one I'm at now where I've just got this dude who doesn't even know what he's talking about. If my customer then goes and trains at that other gym and they realize, oh, this, whole new world. Yeah, right. right? They're going to leave them. So what do they do to stop their students from exploring? Well, they, they don't allow them to train at other gyms. They start bullying their students and they enforce this like traitor mentality, which, uh, you know, it's like using fear and bullying to keep their students in their gym, right? And that's, that's something – now, we should have probably talked about last episode. If you haven't heard that, we did talk about culture, new versus old. And this whole traitor mentality, there's a word for that in Portuguese, right? From Brazil? Yeah, it's a crionchi, which is, it's not even a, I mean, yeah, it's a Portuguese word. But if you ask a Brazilian who doesn't have anything to do with jiu-jitsu what crionchi means, they won't know. It's, right. it's, a, it's like a jiu-jitsu specific slang word in, in Portuguese. And it essentially translates to a traitor, right? That... Um, to give you an idea of how strong that culture used to be back well before when I started training, like back when Fabio was, was training, you know, when he, so when he was an up and comer, it was so strong back then that if you were being relocated, your work was relocating you from Sydney to Melbourne or whatever. And you're having to, or even further, like work's sending you to London. You now work out of the office in London because of whatever. You're a big investment banker or something. Your instructor, it was so strong, the Crionchi mentality, that your instructor would be like, well, then you've essentially got to quit jujitsu. Like you're not allowed to train at a different gym in London. 
like you train here or nowhere. Wow. Like that's not even how, another affiliate like it must like be. Like nothing yeah. there was no like you couldn't train anywhere. Like it was Now, where did that culture come from? Because I I would I would from my perspective it's a little bit different to what you're talking about from what makes a good versus bad instructor in today's context, how a big part of that um, trader mentality or that even let's call it what it is, bullying mentality comes from insecurity that they know they're a shit instructor and they know that there's more for them. Yeah. So it's a little different, right? Like what's, what we're seeing today is yeah. Coming from instructors insecurities to lose their student or customer. Right. Yeah. So they don't want them to experience any other type of, of jujitsu. It's, it's kind of like when you're, when you're a kid and I'm not going to say all parents are bad cooks, right? But you know, <laughs> kids grow up thinking their mum and dad are the best cooks. And yeah. of course some, some people grow up with parents and grandparents who are amazing cooks, but they like grow up going, Oh, mum and dad's cooking. And then they turn into an adult. They go out to a restaurant and they're like, and they eat some food and they go, oh, salt right <laughs> and they re- spice yeah they realize that their mum and dad's cooking is atrocious right and the only thing good about it is nostalgia mom right? i love you lasagna yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't you listen know? to the man <laughs> so um yeah it's similar thing right they keep their students for for fear of losing them i think the that sort of crionchi mentality from back in the beginnings of jujitsu I think it just stemmed from like the, you know, rival gyms wanting to fight each other. And it was like, you know, um, you know, blood's thicker than water sort of mentality. mentality, Like this is our bond, these turf wars almost. Yeah. 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 Especially in Rio, right. was super like tough city. Yeah. Right. Um, Obviously that's not so much the case now, but you can see how that, like that mentality trickles into these instructors with insecurities about mm. their ability to teach jujitsu and they can hide behind the culture of yes. jujitsu okay. to validate their, their behavior. So um, that's your number one. That's your number one trait for a bad instructor then is that not wanting you to experience other gyms. Yeah. I it's mean, a red flag. Yeah. I mean, I welcome anyone from any team into my gym, whether it's to, you know, to train full-time or part-time. I'll give you an example. Like I've got um, one guy who his sons train at my gym. The dad trains at my gym every now and again, but like his main gym where he grades, receives his belts from, his head instructor and everything is a completely different gym. Like I don't care. Like, and conversely, I encourage my students to, if they want to go visit another gym, like I don't, it doesn't bother me like where you train because a lot of people have friends who train at different gyms and they want to roll and train with their friend Man, it doesn't bother me like if you're talking about the progression and belts of jiu-jitsu yeah you got to choose what's your head gym who yeah. is your head instructor who do you get graded so by? if i rocked up like in a couple of months with a blue belt it would be, <laughs> <laughs> it would it would be weird yeah yeah, yeah. i'd right. get bashed yeah <laughs> not really um uh, yeah but yeah that's um that's one of the, the things I see. If we, if we move on from that and ask, okay, well, let's say we've got an instructor who uh, isn't doing that bullying, right? He's not bullying his students. Uh, we've got an instructor who is, you know, more or less knowledgeable in jujitsu, has got his best intentions. Then what, is a, what are some traits of a bad instructor? Yeah, let's, let's go there. 
So that just more comes down to understanding how to teach jujitsu as a whole, but then how to teach to different students. Right. Okay. So com- the way someone communicates communication style. Yes. Yes. And no, like, but um, I'm more sort of saying, how do you teach a brand new beginner versus how do you teach an advanced student? Right. right? And uh, another mistake I see is people trying to teach incredibly complicated jujitsu to a guy who's got two weeks experience of jujitsu. Right. Right. So let's say a good instructor understands that when you're teaching new students, it's not necessarily important the techniques you teach them. I mean, it is, but it's more the way you teach them. You teach a brand new student two ways. You teach them through self-defense, right? Because it's something they can understand, yeah. right? It gives them a point of reference. Real when world context. Yeah. They may have never been in a fight before, but they understand if you say, oh, you know, someone tries to punch you, someone tries to tackle you because they want to steal your wallet, you do this, right? Yeah. It makes sense to them. You ground it in the known. Yeah, opposed to you get someone brand new and you're like, okay, they grab your sleeve, you know, you're in spider guard. You do, they're like, spider guard, like why would, why would I ever be there? Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense to them. We, you know, a bad instructor forgets, um, you know, that this student doesn't have this common knowledge, mm. right? You're not operating on common knowledge yet, yeah. right? When you're teaching an advanced student, right, let's say I'm teaching a class of, Whatever, like, you know, let's say hypothetically blue belts and up, purple belts and up. There's a whole bunch of, you know, assumed knowledge that I don't need to explain a hip escape in that class, right? Yeah. But bad instructors forget a lot of these things that brand new people don't know. You know what? I actually, I see these same bad instructor traits. Obviously, I mentioned that my previous job was a navigation instructor in the Navy. I saw the same thing. In, I don't mind talking a bit of shit here because they're never going to listen to this, but <laughs> what a bad instructor would do in that context would be frustrated with the student or put the blame back onto the student when they didn't understand what that instructor was explaining or couldn't pick it up quick enough because it was so far removed or so long ago that that instructor was in the student's shoes, yeah, right. the student's position that everything seems so basic and common knowledge and simple. But what they're forgetting is the years and years and years of reinforcement of that knowledge for it to become second nature. Right. Like um, you see it a lot as well with, um, I'll give you an example, what I consider the four fundamental like movements of jujitsu that you need to be able to do these to do everything else. I kind of consider it like the, the jab, cross, hook, uppercut, right, of, mm. of jiu-jitsu, which would be your front roll, your back roll, your hip escape, and your technical stand-up. They're so basic, they happen in 99% of warm-ups in jiu-jitsu, and you see instructors just throw the student in, a brand-new student. The amount of times I've seen brand-new students do a shoulder roll or a back roll completely over their neck and hurt themselves, right, on day one because the instructor's forgotten or Mm. maybe negligence, right, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They've forgotten that this brand-new person, like, doesn't know how to do a shoulder roll or a back roll, right? They've forgotten that most adults don't roll around on the ground, right? So they don't know how to roll 
forwards or backwards over themselves without busting up their neck. You know, you see it all the time, right? So um, the first thing is, yeah, we often teach through self-defense, right? They don't have this assumed knowledge. So you want to ground it in something they can understand. But the second thing, when I mentioned that instructors teach way too complicated jujitsu is they teach um they teach like combinations opposed to a sequence what i mean by that is if i have a less experienced student i don't want to teach a combination i don't want to teach okay we're going to do this this uh half guard pass we do this okay and then we go everyone go off and drill it we come back okay now i tried this and my opponent did this so i do this pass you're considering that a combination yeah right right? why don't you teach like that because when you got a brand new student and i say okay i i try pass a right and it worked cool job done now i try pass a my opponent does this so i go to pass b you've got a brand new student who they don't understand why the opponent would do that in the first place you know like oh i go for this pass and then they put my foot their foot on my bicep so i have to do this they're like, but why would they put the foot on the bicep? Like yeah. it doesn't make sense to them yet because they don't have enough knowledge to understand the chess game yep. of it yet, right? You teach sequences to beginners, right? You teach, okay, we do this guard pass. Now we're in side control. Right. Now we go from side control. We do this technique to go to mount. Now we're so in the, mount. The difference is the assumption in a sequence is that each step has been successful. Whereas a combination is a response to your opponent. Yeah, the combination is the yeah the 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 back and forth of opening and closing doors, right? Yeah, the counter yep. and counter counter. Yep. Whereas a sequence is just going from like A, a to, to a to Z or whatever. Yeah, through or, B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A right? B C D. Because yep. then they're learning how to connect techniques, right? They're learning a wider range of positions in jujitsu, opposed to spending a whole week just being in spider guard. Yeah. And then they go off and attempt a roll and all they know is spider guard. And yeah, and then they don't end up in spider guard. They have no idea what's going on. Then you're stuffed. Then you're stuffed, right? (laughs) Um right, right. That is a big, big mistake that instructors make. It's not hard to teach advanced jujitsu. Teaching a competition class is more about like pushing your students than it is necessarily teaching the jujitsu. It's teaching beginners that you can see the difference between a good and bad instructor. Right. So someone like myself, say for example, I I live in, I don't know, I'll I'll pick someone random like Perth and I try, I'm brand new to the sport. I, I walk into a gym. Do you recommend that I just go with logistics, go with a gym at the start or trial a whole bunch of different gyms or, or how, if you were knowing what you know now as a black belt, if I picked you up, plonked you into per, in Perth and you had a plethora of gyms to choose from around you, they're all more or less the same price, the same uh, distance from your home. How would you go about choosing a gym? So no, yeah. So knowing what I know now, yes. all things being equal price logistics and everything. So the, Probably one of the first things I think is really important if you're looking for a gym, and sorry, to cut myself off, yes, I would recommend trying multiple gyms Mm -hmm. because unless you've been recommended by someone, right, you want to find a gym where you enjoy being there, right? If you don't fit in, I don't want to say fit in, but like if it's just not your vibe, not your scene, 
man, you, you're just not going to enjoy your time there. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with your training partners and the instructor, right? But for the average person, you're doing jujitsu for a hobby, right? So if you don't enjoy your time there, man, I hear so many people who don't like going to the gym that they go to. That like, boggles I'm, my mind. I'm like, yeah. why are you paying money to go to a gym that you don't like? Like, it's, it, I don't get it, right? It's different if you're like, let's say me, for example, it was not the, mo- I mentioned in the last episode, it was not the most welcoming environment for me training in Brazil, right? It was very like unfriendly to gringos, but I was there with gringos, a, gringos like a, it's like a slang term for foreigners right. in Brazil. Um, I was there, you know, with a goal of train, like my mentality, the way I explain it to people is if jujitsu gyms were like universities, the Alliance headquarters was Harvard. So I went out of my way to study at Harvard. The same way that some people move across the country or across the world to go to a particular uni because it has the best robotics department in the world or they has the- It was a means to an end for you. Yeah, so, so I was willing to, to suck up whatever bits were, were less pleasant. But the average person does jujitsu for fun, for a hobby, you know, like- because they enjoy it. If you don't enjoy the atmosphere at your gym, I, I, would, I would look elsewhere, right? Past that, how do you know if your instructor's any good without a recommendation? How do you know if they're legitimate? It's hard to- Just roll them, though. <laughs> yeah, just roll them. Yeah, really, you're, you know, you're not going to be able to know if the techniques they're teaching are legitimate, unfortunately, but- Um, how do you know if they're a good instructor? Well, like I mentioned, are they teaching in the appropriate way? Are they teaching you as a beginner through sequences? That's like, I mean, it's quite a black and white way to put it. Yeah. Are they concise in their explanation? Okay. I mean, in conversation, I can be known to ramble, but if you've ever learned jujitsu from me, Probably one of the, the feedback I get the most from students is how they enjoy how I'm, I'm nice and, and concise. I don't spend two hours explaining one technique, overloading them with information, right? Give a few details to the technique and, you know, then there's time to drill it and you move on, right? Really clear, concise, give the crucial details in the technique, right? And as time goes on and techniques are retaught, details are added and added and added. Also depends if you're you know, like if I'm teaching a day one white belt, uh, whatever, an arm bar, right? It's very basic details than when I'm teaching that blue belt and arm bar. Again, because the, the higher the belt, the more assumed knowledge I can teach from. So just on that, if you are picking a gym and the gym has like, for example, I know that some gyms have beginner classes where it's only white belts allowed or only white mm. and blue belts or whatever. Mm. Like there's an experience cap on the class and then they have their advanced class where it's like blue belts and above or or however they divide the classes. Yeah. What's your take on on a gym that does that? That divides? That, the, yeah, that separates the the classes in in terms of experience. And yeah, make. I think it's the I think it's the the correct way to do it. Um, it's easier said than done because for it to make sense from a business point of view, you've got to remember at the end of the day, the gym's a business yeah, that exactly. um, someone is having to pay the bills, right? Uh, okay, so maybe some people run gyms as, a, as more of a hobby charity thing, but usually as a gym owner, 
right? It's how you make your living, right? And you're paying rent, commercial rent and all these things. So it is a business. And logistically, it can be challenging because unless you've got this big ball and gym with multiple mats and multiple instructors, you can often only have one class running at a time, right? It's not every gym that can have two or three different classes running at the same time. And why that's important is because the before work, the lunchtime and the after work time slots are the valuable time slots. That's when people train, right? So, um, you, you know, obviously people listening, not everyone has been to Alliance Sydney, but you know, if you walk into Alliance Sydney, you can't have a beginner's class and an advanced class happening at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's a small gym at the moment. Um, but ideally you do separate the classes. So the student knows what they're getting when they walk into that class. Right. So let's say you have no idea, right? It's just every single class on the timetable is just labeled jujitsu. Yeah. Okay. And you walk in as a white belt or maybe you walk in, maybe you're already a blue belt, but you've just been slammed at work all week and you just want to go to the gym to switch off and, you know, just do a bit of jujitsu and turns out, you know, you had no idea, but you've just walked into the most grueling competition training you've ever known because you had no idea because it was just labeled as jujitsu and the coach just decided to do that on the day. Or let's uh, take another point of view. What if you're a third degree black belt, right? And you want to go to the gym and train jujitsu. Now and this is something I can relate to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you walk in and turns out that on that particular day and class, the instructor has decided to teach the most basic of basic fundamentals and turns out you spend two hours doing hip escapes and cross collar chokes from mount. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a black belt and then, you know, drilling basics again, fundamentals again, but maybe not what you wanted to do on that day in the gym. Whereas if you've got on your timetable beginners, you've got, you know, it's labeled, you know what you're walking into. Like if the, if the class that you're attending says, you know, jujitsu for absolute beginners and you walk in as a black belt or a brown belt or a purple belt and then get salty because you spent the whole class doing You're a, a, bit of an a, idiot. a scissor sweep. <laughs> it's on you, bro. It yeah. was in the name. Yeah. Right. Same as if, if, if you're a white belt and you rock up to it or whatever belt and you rock up to a competition class and then complain that, you know, uh, uh, people were rolling too hard. Dude, like don't go to that class. Like it's, it's in the name. So that, that's the correct way to separate your timetable and, and your classes and your teaching. But logistically, it can be a challenge for, for small business owners because you don't have the multiple mat space to have different classes running at once, you know? Like, because if 7 p.m. is the prime time slot, if you don't have multiple mats, well, it's either going to be a beginner class or a no-gi class or an advanced class or a competition class. It can't, like, it's only going to be one of those. Yeah, can't be all of them. Can't be all of them. But if you have multiple mats and multiple instructors, you can have a beginner's class running at 7 p.m. and an advanced class running at 7 p.m., yeah. right? Um, so it's a logistical challenge, but it's the correct way to do it. 
Right. So that that's, I, I suppose, a feature of um, not so much a good instructor versus a bad instructor. That's more a good gym. gym yeah. yeah. Which, which, as we mentioned, they're a little bit synonymous. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about them interchangeably, I suppose. But just to, to go back when, when you were asking, you know, what would the advice be knowing what I know now, yeah. right? So if it logistically makes sense, right? If you gel with the vibe of the, of the gym, right? The atmosphere of the gym, the instructor teaches concisely. Again, you're not going to know if he, the techniques he's teaching is legitimate, but let's just say they are, you know, he teaches concisely, really clearly, really well-spoken, right? What should we look for then? And you want an instructor who's invested in you, right? Like um, I'm a big believer in wanting my students to become better than me, right? It's not too hard for them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks you'll be there. Um, <laughs> you know, like low bar. yeah, yeah, low bar. Like when I roll with my students and they, um, you know, let's say if I roll with a student and they submit me, you know, like I'm happy. And sad, you know, like the competitor <laughs> in me is upset, you know, but the instructor in me is super happy, right? Uh, I, one of my favorite self quotes I like to say is um, one of my good friends and students, Joey, um, who I, we mentioned earlier or in the last yeah. in a previous episode, Joey's a, a, a brown belt. He is one of the owners of Jungle Brothers and one of the owners of Bulletproof for BJJ. And Joey is a tough brown belt, right? And he's come a long way since um, he started training with me. And what I often say to Joey is I say, Joey, I regret every single thing I teach you. Right? <laughs> and I mean that in a way that like I teach Joey something or fix something of Joey's and then the next thing you know when I roll with him like – he's all of a sudden harder to pass or all of a sudden he's sweeping me or submitting me or something. And the instructor in me loves that. You know, I'm super happy. You know, the competitor in me, not so much. Um, but I think it's important to find an instructor who's, you know, invested in you, right? And, and knows how to teach you. One of the things that makes Fabio such an amazing teacher, and if you don't know a lot about Fabio, right, um, Fabri Gurgel is one of the founders of Alliance, Alliance being the most successful competition team in, in the history of jiu-jitsu. And Fabio himself has created more world champions than any other instructor. 12 world champions at this point? Something like that. Like, yeah. I mean, Alliance has 12 adult male world titles, but Fabio has the list of students under him who are world champions. If you looked across all colored belts, man, would be the number would be astronomical that some of his more notable black belt student world champions are you know Cobrinha, Lucas Lepri, Marcelo Garcia, Bruno Malfassini, Bernard Faria, Gabi Garcia, Luan Alzguier, Tarsus Humphries, Sergio Moraes, Leon Nogueira. These are all black belt world champions under Fabio. Tarsus Humphries is another one. Um, and what makes Fabio one of the best instructors is his ability to understand how to teach each student individually. Um, I'll give you an example, right? So I was training one day with Fabio. I think I was a blue belt at the time. And it was, 
and it was the second class of the day. So I was already onto my second training session. It was the middle of summer. Fabio's gym didn't have air conditioning at this time. The gym was packed. It was humid. The drinking fountain was broken. So, <laughs> you know, we didn't have water unless you would, you would brought your own. And it was like the last roll of the night and I was rolling with Fabio and Fabio's known for his top pressure. And he passed me and he mounted me and he had me in a Superman armbar, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a inverted armbar or cutting armbar, um, predominantly done from mount. And at the same time I was getting stuck in, in the dark room or quarto oscuro, which is when like your face is stuck in there, like gi and chest area, you know, you're getting smothered essentially. And Fabio hadn't hyperextended my elbow just yet. He had the submission, but he hadn't extended it. And I thought I was going to pass out just from lack of oxygen from everything, the roll, how tired I was, how hot it was, you know, his chest smothering my, my face and I tapped. And when he got up off me after I tapped, he ripped me apart so hard. Like he was just going, you never tap from that shit. I hadn't put the submission on. That makes a weak soul. The next time you do that, I won't let go of your arm. And then he was like pulling aside other black belts. Adam, weak shit over here. Did oh, this. No. And <laughs> Dude, like demolished no. me. Uh, like I almost, I almost cried. Right. Wow. Like, um, and I was so like, I was so distraught. And then like the next day he like, I don't know if he did this intentionally or not, but he like, I was rolling with one of the other black belts who caught me in the exact same position and then extended the arm. Cause I remember when I was there, I was like, there is no way I'm tapping until the submission's on. Yeah. And, and I tapped when the submission was on and like looked up and Fabio was watching the whole thing. And yeah. Fabio was like, I, it was like, yeah, if he, if you tapped early, I was going to tell him not to let go. Oh shit. And, uh, <laughs> and you might be listening to this thinking like, what a bully. And that's not the case. Fabio is just so good at understanding that for me, that was the best thing to happen for me in that situation. I've never once since then tapped from, from pressure or from, uh, you know, lack of oxygen when it wasn't a choke. Never. I've never tapped from anything short of a something submission. that made you just uncomfortable, right? Yeah, yeah, never since then. But that's but Fabio wouldn't do that with every single student. Right. There's other students that that exact same scenario could play out, and they would tap, and he would get up and just be like, "Oh, I didn't quite. You know, you should have tried to move more, like to buy some space for your face. I, I hadn't extended the arm yet." He knows how to treat each individual student appropriately to push them the most and get the most out of them. Right. Right. And that's, I think like a golden trait. If an instructor has that trait, that's something special. Cause not everyone has that. Not everyone has that ability to, you know, like a personal trainer who maybe they can tell, you know how you see it in like boot camps and personal trainers, how some personal trainers are like, come on, you maggot, you yeah. piece of shit, yeah. right? And other personal trainers like, come on, dude, you can do it one more. Different approaches, right? yeah. And some personal trainers are like, this is my flavor. This is my style. Take it or leave it. And other personal trainers are, can tell which method is going to get the most out of that client. Yeah. 
And I know which one's better, right? Right. Yeah. And and Fabio can do that. Yeah. And that is, if you can find a coach who has that, man, that's golden. So, your your story about um, tapping under pressure sort of reminded me of something that happened to me um, at your gym, where I tapped. Was that under have? my pressure? No, no. This was not not so much a, a pressure tap, but I I was rolling with Joey again, brown belt. Yep. Um, and he was working on a submission. Now, this was a little while ago. I will admit that I probably only had like three or four months experience at this point. So uh, I was even junior than I am now. And I, in my mind, he had a submission and he was, you know, about to put it on or whatever. So I tapped. Like I felt that he had something, but there was, he didn't put it on. I was not under any pressure. I just, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, okay, you got me. I just want to restart. And he was like, what did I get you with? I'm like, the submission is like, what submission? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got called out big yeah. time. And he didn't give me a full on roasting, roasting, like you were explaining with Fabio, but he gave me like a disappointed, um, a disappointed dad or disappointed brother chat about like, bro, like I had nothing. Like you, yeah. you're a bitch. I'm gonna, you, <laughs> so let me address that first and then I'll tell another funny story. Um, but yeah, you can't like if it's if the submission isn't there. In, yeah, well, unless, I, I don't know what the fuck I was doing. Unless you unless you're nursing an injury or yeah, something. Yeah, I wasn't. I was being a, I was being a pussy. I was being a, I was being a bitch because he's a higher belt, and in my mind, I was like, oh, he's you're, a higher belt. You'd already you given gotta, up. Yeah, exactly. Hundred percent it. That's hundred yeah. percent it. And that's um, you can't have you can't have that no, that approach. Absolutely um, not. Again, like we talked last episode about culture and unspoken rules, and sometimes people like don't roll properly with higher belts. Yeah. You know, like yeah. You know, and conversely, out of people don't roll. I feel it as well. And maybe maybe this is a topic for another time, but I mean, now that we're on it, people don't roll properly with lower belts and it can be insulting. Like it goes both ways is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Depends on what you're trying to achieve, right? If I'm rolling with you, if you were putting it on me every two seconds, I'd get submitted, right? It wouldn't be- it wouldn't would, be super fun for It wouldn't be fun yeah. for me. It wouldn't be fun for you. Like it's shit for everyone. Like obviously you let me work and then you tap me like three seconds before the buzzer. That's that's how it goes. But if I'm rolling with like a, a purple belt or something like that or or even a blue belt or whoever and they're going too light or sometimes, I'm not naming any names, but some people that I've rolled with um, go so light that it's, it's insulting. Like literally go ragdoll, let you do whatever yeah, you want yeah. and then turn it on. It's, it's I don't yeah. like that. Well, That's a pet peeve. Yeah, I get I get that. Um, you'll find a lot of women in jiu-jitsu hate that. Like they hate when guys don't roll with them properly. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on the weight difference and everything, but um, but I know heaps of girls. Like I used, I used to train with heaps of different girls in Brazil and um, and they would, in the beginning, like when I didn't know them that well, right, they would say to me like, man, like roll properly with me. Like they hated it if you was like, oh, I'm rolling with a girl, you know, I'll go easier, you know. And nowadays when I roll with any, like whichever girl I'm rolling with or training with, for me, I'm like, oh, it's just another purple belt or black belt or whatever. Like I just more or less roll with them like like, like they're would. a guy. Like, yeah. you know, respecting their ability, right? I've been bashed by plenty of girls in yeah, jiu-jitsu, yeah. right? <laughs> um, yeah, but when it comes – I'll tell you what I do, for example. As an instructor, if I'm rolling with lower belts – and what I'd say to students in, in terms of this, oh, you know, you should be respectful to higher belts and maybe don't roll super hard with them or whatever. And I say to, to lower belts, roll with me like I'm the same color belt as you. Like, come at me, bro. 
I'm good enough to handle it. And if you get me, right, let's say you pass me or tap me or whatever, the instructor in me is going to be stoked, right? I'm going to be super happy for you. Mm. I'm not going to be, the competitor in me is going to hate it. But also because I often roll differently, like I try to emulate the way I learned, which is from Fabio, right? So I really try to find that, treat the individual the way that they need to be treated to get the most out of them. So if that's a bit of like not bullying in the tough negative love. term. Yeah. yeah. So if that student needs tough love, I try to give it to them. If that student needs a little bit more sort of like, you know, emotional support yeah. or whatever, I try to give that to each individual. Um, and so that's often reflected in the way I roll. So let's say I'll use you as an example, Kieran, right? Like, um, sometimes I'll be rolling with you and I'll intentionally just, just bash you. Right. Yep. Because <laughs> Stop punching yeah, me no. like, I mean, that, that sounds bad because it's a, a black belt bashing up a white belt. I don't mean bashes in hurt, but Kieran's someone who, who wants to compete a lot, wants to be successful in jujitsu. Right. So every now and again, like, okay, if that was every role, it would not be very fun or, or, um, progressive to the development of your jujitsu. But every now and again, for you to like copper, uh, you know, to have, to get smashed a bit, mm. kind of like a surfer having a, a session where he had cops a big wipeout. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you've got to be pulled in, pulled in line a little bit every yeah. now and again, right? Humbled. Yeah. But sure. then um, other roles, I'll maybe be a bit more flowy because I want to see how you're moving. Sometimes I'll roll with you and I'll let you get me, I'll let you take my back and, you know, kind of not really start defending until I'm, you know, 90% of the way into the submission. Cause then, you know, essentially what I'm doing is I want to see if I give you 95% of the arm bar, can you finish it? Yeah. Right. And you know, hopefully the answer is yes. Right. Like if I'm rolling with a Brown belt and I give them 95% to the submission, of course they're going to finish it. Right. Like the skill difference between me and that student, they can finish that 5%. Whereas, you know, with a brand new white belt, and I'm sure even as a white belt, you felt this. Yep. Like with a with a, a two-day-old white belt, yep. you could you could let them put you in an armbar and you're probably going to get out, yeah. right? Because they don't know. So, you know, I'll roll appropriate, you know, I'll change the way I roll, but that only works if the student is bringing it yeah. every time. Like, man, I tell my students to bring it when they roll, right? I suppose the gap between me and yourself and the relationship. I think relationship's a better term. The relationship that I have with you, and I, I understand that. I understand that if you let me get 95% of the way into a, I think the most recent one was like a rear naked choke. You get mm. me 95% there, then you start defending. Can I finish it? Yes or no, or whatever. But I think from my position, if I'm rolling with a higher blue belt or a purple belt and they let me sweep, they let me get the takedown and I could feel it. Like we're not mm. people intelligent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we understand. Right. Um, talking the, the, the Royal we, the, I'm speaking for all white belts here. <laughs> we as white belts, we, we no, <laughs> uh, but no, we as white we belts. We stand united. We're <laughs> people too. <laughs> we feel it. Right. And it gets a little bit, again, I, I'm not saying that we want to get smashed and blah, 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 blah. But when, when the skill difference isn't as, isn't as great, great and the relationship isn't there and they're not my instructor is I suppose is, yeah. let me put it to you. Is this my ego talking? But if they're not my instructor and they're playing the instructor role, 
that frustrates me because I don't know where I stand with them and I haven't earned the sweep. I haven't earned yeah. the, the submission or whatever. Or yeah. even, I mean, I don't want to put this in the same category, but if you get a submission on a high belt and then they coach you into it, oh, that's, that's, the, that's another that, thing that's together. Worst, that's like the Jedi. Oh, I have another funny story about oh, that. Oh, man, that is, that's happened yeah. to me a few times and it's despicable. But let's yeah. stay on track for now. Um, what's your take on that? Do you think a blue belt, with my position now that I'm in now, like a more or less nearly a year in a white belt, should a, a, a more or less a, a mid mid to junior blue belt be conceding things to me? No, like um, look, it's all it's all in context. Like, are yeah. you having a, a light role at the end of a beginners class? Maybe it doesn't matter so much, right? Are you rolling in the advanced class or the competition class? Like there should be zero conceding. Like when I think of a competition class, I mean, I'm not even going to let you get halfway towards an advantage. Mm. If you scored an advantage point on me, let alone a sweep or a submission, man, you earned it because I did not. That's what I'm talking about. Give. I want to feel like I've earned yeah. what I progressed. So what I would Again, say. to the lower belt. Yeah, lower so belts. what I would say to you, right, in regards to, man, people keep doing this to me. Let's talk about in our gym. Yeah. If you're visiting a gym, I mean, yeah, I, I lean on the story. side of like, man, just be a nice person. You're visiting yeah, someone's sure. gym. Sure. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, right? But if you said to me, if we were having this conversation and you're like, man, people are doing this a lot in the gym, I would, my, my reply would essentially be, well, man, if they're conceding stuff, make them pay for it. <laughs> if so-and-so lets you have that sweep, then you murder them, yeah. right? Make them regret like not respecting your jiu-jitsu, right? Mm, for right? sure. If, if they concede the sweep or the pass, sub, sub them, yeah. right? Put their back against the wall when they have, you know, they have to start turning it on, yeah. right? Because yeah, they're sure. being disrespectful, like, you know, for, for clarification, like, I'm not saying that everyone's doing this. I'm just saying that like <laughs> this, this is a thing that gets done in jiu-jitsu and people yeah. – you know, people do talk about it. So I just wanted to get your take. Yeah, man. I in, Don't come bash me, everyone. <laughs> no, in, my, in my opinion, you should be, yeah, you should be putting it on. Cool. You know, that it is at the end of the day, like a, a, a full contact combat sport, right? And, you know, if someone's always giving you stuff for free, it's, it's no fun. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's, it's no fun. Like yeah. You wouldn't play a game of tennis and intentionally miss the ball and be like, oh, nice shot, bro. You'd be like, you're like you were yeah. looking at your phone. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> like, you weren't even on the court. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, nice shot? Like you just, you didn't even try. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, it's all it's all in context, right? Like you got to take it by the role. Sometimes it's gonna be you can feel right. Sometimes mm. you can feel like oh, it was fine. It's not that big of a deal because yeah. whatever. And other times you feel like man, say something to them as well. Yeah, you know, like it's your when it's your teammates, mm. you should be there to to help each other. Be like, you know, pull them up on it. You're like, bro, sure. like, why'd you give me that sweep? Yeah. You know? And I say it sometimes, even when I'm rolling with like you or other lower belts or something, you'll concede something. Yes. And I'm like, I'll be like, dude, I didn't even sweep you. You just fell, fell over. over. Yeah. Why didn't you get back up? Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess that's more of an instructor thing opposed to you letting me do something. But I mean, don't be afraid to to pull someone up if you, they're doing what you think is the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. Within reason, obviously. Yeah, within reason. I mean, don't, you know, definitely tell them if The white belt revolt, it's coming yeah. worldwide. <laughs>
instigated by Adam Charles. <laughs> Look, you he, heard it here first. He, white belts are cool, man. They're cool. You know? <laughs> We're people too. Uh, right? Yeah, they're people got too. You need, yeah, you need you need white belts around. Yeah, for right? sure. With no, with no white. Smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, where am I going to get my ego boost if yeah. there's no white belts? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Um, no, this was this is a really good um, topic. I think, particularly. I mean, we did get a little bit off track, but that's that's the way of it. Um, I think me personally, I got a very good insight from from a more senior jujitsu practitioner's perspective on good instructor versus a bad instructor, well, what to look for in a gym. I think. Well, let me ask, like bef- before we sign off, then. I mean, let's whatever you want to say, right? This won't affect your chances of <laughs> being oh, promoted shit. by me. But okay, you don't it's not like you've trained at 10 different gyms, you Mm. know, so you don't have comparisons, but just in your experience, if you look at me as your instructor, what, what do you think? Okay. I'm not going to say, Oh, I'm a good instructor. I mean, I think I am right. But what do you enjoy about the way I teach or what do you dislike about the way I teach? You know, if, if we're using me as an example, like I'm in our duo, I'm an instructor, Mm. you're my student right? Is there a particular something that makes you go like, oh, I I like the way that Adam teaches or don't like? So I suppose I can talk to this from experience talking to a lot of other white belts. Because if you don't know, I have a YouTube channel, YouTube series, Road to Blue Belt, where I literally vlog essentially and and post videos about my journey. And through that- From white belts to white belts, right? Often is how you- you mention it like from you, white belt to white. No, yeah. Yeah. From, like, yeah. From a white belt's perspective to a, to white belts, this is addressing other white belts. So f- through that, I have built relationships with like white belts all around the world, particularly, you know, in the States or here all around Australia. So I get a lot of different insights about how other people or other gyms do it because there's thousands of jujitsu gyms out there and thousands of black belts, thousands of instructors. And one thing I can say that I do, definitely notice a stark comparison and I've mentioned this before but it's directly attributed to you as an instructor is a cultural shift between how you treat white belts as people or you how you treat beginners as people as individuals for example like I didn't even know that you weren't allowed to ask higher belts to roll I didn't know that was a thing and I you know published a video encouraging people to yeah. do that right yeah. I didn't even know that it was a cultural no-no I like how that your relaxed nature and that is a norm that I can ask a blue belt to roll. I can, you know, ask a purple belt to roll within, you know, within respect, within reason, all that, all of that good gear. Um, so I like not only like that is the way you instruct, but the more accurately the culture that you've generated at Alliance. So that that's the, the biggest thing that I really, really enjoy. I suppose I'm not going to publicly criticize you. That's <laughs> like, well, we've established no one's listening. So yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. No one's listening. It's just you and me talking. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't really have enough context, enough experience to, to, to do justice to this response. But from my opinion, like gauging from other people's experience and, 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 you know, generating so many different relationships with so many white belts, as I mentioned worldwide, then the cultural thing is the biggest stark comparison. And I really like the fact that, I mean, if, if I wasn't allowed to roll 
with higher belts. I know that some gyms, white belts only roll white belts mm. and all colored belts are having their own, you know, party at, at the colored belt time. That, that's cool. Yeah. If if you told me, like, for example, if you made a rule like to or your instruction style change that white belts weren't allowed to roll anyone else other than white belts, that would really piss me off. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That would not offend me. Like I would I'd have You're to like, get- Because the other white belts are dog shit. No, no, no. That's not <laughs> it at all. That's not it at all. It's kind of like segregating. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying it's a skill thing. I'm not saying I'm as good as a color belt. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that it it's a respect thing. And yeah. you know what I mean? And you treat each individual- like with respect and you tailor your instruction style to the individual. And as you mentioned how you've, you know, that's what Fabio does. I feel like when you were describing Fabio at some point, I felt like you were also describing a lot of yourself, which yeah, look at that. No, I meant in terms of like instruction, <laughs> let's say you're as good as Fabio, dude. <laughs> Pull your head in. No. Um, but no, that's, that's, I, I suppose from my perspective, um, I, I consider you as a good instructor. So if I was going to value add to, you know, what a white belt thinks a good instructor is. Yeah. It's that, that tailored, that tailored approach, that individualization and what makes a good gym is the culture. Yeah. I think culture yeah. and I think that makes goes a good gym. That goes back to what what I I said before if it logistically makes sense and everything like you really want to enjoy the vibe, the atmosphere, the culture of the gym. If you get bitten by the jiu-jitsu bug, you're there f- 5 days a week, right? Minimum. Yeah, don't minimum. Be, don't right. be a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two a day. Yeah. And look, Quit at the your end, job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it, let's say you know, let's say you've got multiple gyms and they all tick all these boxes, right? I mean, you're going to always prefer one to the other. The same way that in life you can't be friends with everyone, there's people that won't like you for no real reason other yeah. than like, you know, you, they just don't – You got, don't. maybe not even it's that you don't get along but you just don't really have any sort of connection. Mm. And like I know – a perfect example is like when when Levi first started training overseas, he was training at Cabrinha's in LA with with Alliance, and I don't know he just didn't really enjoy Cabrinha's teaching style, and like ended up in New York under Murillo and and Unity. Right? Does that mean Cabrinha is a bad instructor? No, but it just wasn't wasn't the right fit for him. Yeah, at it just the time. didn't yeah. fit the way that you know Levi wanted to learn and wanted to train. Right, so you know you're going to sometimes as well lose students just because they don't enjoy the way you teach. doesn't mean you're a bad instructor, right? So, and again, I think this kind of goes back to why people, why instructors use like bullying and fear to keep their students, right? Because they're not okay with the fact that they could do everything right and still lose the student. Yeah. Because sometimes that happens. I mean, you should always look at yourself when you do lose a student, make sure you didn't do anything wrong Right? But sometimes, you know, students just aren't going to enjoy the way you teach, the way, you know, your vibe. I mean, it happens, bro, and that's okay, right? I the, think that's a big, that's the key message, know, the, that the, it's okay. The, and yeah, it's, the same way if I have a Mexican restaurant and you don't come in because you wanted pasta, well, that's okay, right? Start serving pasta at your restaurant, Adam. <laughs> Wait, hang on. I'm going to start <laughs> serving pasta at the gym, right? That is now an all-you-can-eat <laughs> buffet jiu-jitsu gym. Uh, I, I know some students of yours that would probably enjoy that. <laughs> all right, on that, on that uh, food-related note, uh, thanks for – if you're listening for this long, thanks so much for supporting the podcast. Make sure to follow us on your 
platform of choice on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review. Do it. Five-star reviews go a long way. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Um, If you have any, can you leave comments on spot on podcasts? How do you comment on a podcast? So you can leave a review on, you can leave a review on the podcasts on particularly Apple, Apple podcasts, but we're going to set up a a avenue for you to drop us some uh, comments. But for now, just jump over to Alliance. Alliance Sydney BJJ Instagram. Yeah. Or we've got um, that's the 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 main way that you can get through to me to get through to Kieran. Yeah, it's just my either my YouTube or my Instagram. Either leave a comment on YouTube or my Instagram, which is my name, Kieran Lefebvre, and you will find that in the description of the show. Word. All right, guys. Uh, thank you, and we will uh, catch you on the next one.